Let's begin with prayer. Our gracious, holy, and loving Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thankful for a place that we can quietly worship and read your word and direct our thoughts towards home. We pray that you would make this word come alive. Father, work in each one of us through your Holy Spirit that wherever we're at, whatever our needs, physical, spiritual, emotional, Father, you alone, we know, can provide in a great way, in a miraculous way, instantly sometimes. Father, we pray bless this morning and this service. We pray that your spirit would speak now in the name of Jesus. Amen. This being what's commonly known as Palm Sunday, I'd like to read out of Matthew, the 21st chapter. From the first verse on 21st. And later on, I'd like to add a This account that we're going to read of Jesus riding into Jerusalem uh, is recorded in all four Gospels, which isn't the case with many of the parables and stories that we have in the Bible, but this is recorded in all four. It's a, a huge turning point. It is the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life as a human being on this earth. And as such, many of the Gospels devote numerous, numerous chapters to the next week and the next few days, uh, and for us that's critical because without these things we, we would have no hope. So let's begin with verse 1 of uh, chapter 21 in Matthew. And when they drew near unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find a cold tide a donkey tied, rather, and a colt with her, loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon a donkey and a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let us all fall on our knees and pray to God.
Loving Father in heaven, we come before your throne of grace this morning. We come because where can we go when thou hast the words of eternal life? We're thankful for the peace and the quiet that you have given to us. For we know that in many corners of the world, your word, which is so precious, is heard through much persecution, through hiding, in secret places. And yet we have it free and abundant. Oh, Father in heaven, we're so thankful for your word that's open to us this morning that reminds us of what happened 2,000 years ago in the city of Jerusalem, the city of peace, which has seen nothing but war for 2,000 years. Father, we are mindful also of the cry of the people as they cried out, Hosanna, God save us. Father, we pray that there will be those this morning that would be crying out to you, God, save me. Father, we pray that their hearts would be pricked as the word goes forth. We pray that Brother Frank will receive your anointing from on high, that your Holy Spirit will give him the words to speak and give him a clarity of mind and and the simplicity of speech that all could understand. We're thankful for his willingness to come to serve, to assist us, and we pray a blessing upon him and his family. Father, we pray for those that are not here, those that are sick that we've heard of already, and those that are chronically ill, that have diseases and cancer. We pray that you would be with them, be their comfort, and specifically by name for our dear sister Olga Ordog, and our dear sister Olga Vukov, to sister Monica Jarvine and her daughter Emily. We pray for the shut-in, the aged. We pray for those in distant cities that have grievous diseases, Sarah Josic and Jennifer Ceres and we pray that you be their comfort and strength to their families and that you would remind them that all things work for the good. Not that we understand why and why them, but that we may, we may be also reminded that things may be waiting for us that we are unfamiliar with or unknown to and that we would receive them as if from thy hand and for your purposes. Father in heaven, we pray for this country. Your word instructs us to pray for governments, for kings, to lift up holy hands for all men everywhere, that your will be done as your beloved son said, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father in heaven, we Pray for our children, those that do not know Thee as Lord and Saviour, those that have been raised in Your ways and Your will at the feet of their loving parents who have only wished and hoped and prayed for the best for them. We pray that their eyes 
may be opened, that their understanding may be enlightened, that they would see themselves as you see them, and that they would come to you while it is yet the day of grace. Bless this day, bless the word, and bless our being together, we pray, and ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This is a word and a subject that I've had to think a lot about in the last little while as I think about this day and as I think about the events of this particular situation. And there are so many things that we could talk about and so many things we could focus on in these few verses and in some others that, Lord willing, I would like to read yet another one of the other accounts of this particular story and, and happening in the life of Jesus, a very important happening. Three times a year, it was important for these Jewish pilgrims to go back to Jerusalem from all over the land, which, to sort of set the stage for this, Jerusalem couldn't hold all these people. Jerusalem had a huge uh, old city there built, and especially the Temple Mount, where the temple was. Herod the Great had, uh, as I learned recently, an eagle that probably second to none. Very few people in, in history had the eagle of this man, and he built amazing, massive building projects, which by today's standards would be difficult to imagine. By those standards, we, we can't see. We saw numerous things when we were over there of, of how they accomplished some of these things. And especially when it talked about the stones, you know, I still remember, and I don't want to give you a travel log, but just a, a few little snippets and encourage you if you ever have a chance, if it's possible to go. It's, it was a phenomenal experience to, to just travel the land and to see the sights and and it's amazing as I read these places and, and, and put these stories together, how they come to life now in my mind, having been there and having seen what Jesus would have seen or walked where he would have walked. And though it's 2,000 years later, it's still a special experience. But here at this time, Jerusalem would have been an extremely busy place. I don't know if it was a million or two or what, but there was a lot, an awful lot of people that came back to Jerusalem three times a year. And some of these journeys took days. And some of them, especially those that came from where Jesus was, up around the Sea of Galilee, would take as much as a week and a half of walking time, maybe even more. So this was a significant investment of time, resources, People had to scrounge up the money so that they could buy from the money changers the coins they needed to get into the places that they needed to, that they could make the pilgrimages they needed to, so they had the sacrifices that they needed to. And that's where a lot of these situations come from. So now we can see, depending on which account we read, Jesus was in Bethany, and he had just recently come, maybe stayed with Mary and Martha and with Lazarus overnight. 
in, in their home. And probably at that time was when Mary anointed his feet with this very costly ointment, preparing him for burial. She obviously understood better than the others what was coming. Another one shows that he healed the blind man. And in this case, Bartimaeus, and here it's just two blind men sitting by the wayside. So we have a Jesus that is coming to Jerusalem with a lot of fame. People knew who Jesus was, but more they knew of his deeds. And we need to, I believe, examine ourselves and see how we look at this, how we fit in to the crowd that is starting to develop as he comes closer and closer to Jerusalem. He says here, they drew near to Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two disciples. It didn't name the disciples because it wasn't important, just like it isn't important today if he says to one or two of us, go and do this. Go and see these people. Go and get this done for me. Because it's not important who the disciples were. It's not important who knows for us, applying this to us, what we have done for the Lord. It's more important that the Lord knows what we've done for him. The Lord knows our inner life. The Lord knows our heart. The Lord knows that place where everything that we do comes from. And that's why the Bible so often talks about the heart. And here it simply says that he sent two disciples. Many times, Jesus had been the one asking, reasoning. Uh, Jesus was, was very accommodating as much as he could be, unless his father was at stake, unless the commandments of God were at stake. Then he became indignant. Then he acted decisively. And here, I see as we go along here, Jesus becoming the king. Jesus alone fully understood as he's nearing Israel. He had been telling the disciples. He had been telling all that would listen what is going to happen. But they just didn't get it. And I think we need to put ourselves in that. Sometimes we read this word over and over but we just don't get it. We just don't understand it fully because we're not giving ourselves over to God. We're not letting God speak to us and letting him be what I call brutally honest with us. Opening ourselves up. We like to just open that door to our heart just a little crack. We don't want to fling that thing wide open because then he's going to see everything that we're harboring inside. We need to get that out of there. And so he sends these two disciples to the village nearby and said, right away, you're going to find a donkey there with a young foal. Bring them to me. We know that horses are the great animals of war at that time. In Revelation 6, I believe it is, if you look there, you'll see the red horse and the black horse and the pale horse and the horses that will be coming, and it's war. It is serious things that are coming at that time. 
Hopefully, we won't be around at that time. But horses are large animals. They're animals of war. They're animals that kings ride when they come to war. Here, he is coming into town on a donkey, on a foal. These are animals that are ridden when a king comes in peace. He is signifying that he's coming in peace. He's not coming to make war. If he would have been riding on a horse, then they would have been encouraged to welcome him as the, the king of the Jews, thinking that now this oppression that they've been under, the Romans for so long, would be rectified, that he was now going to lead this uprising and take back the land and take back Jerusalem and take back control of everything. But everything he did and everything he says has meaning. And here, by riding on this, he signified, he signified that he was coming in peace. He was a man of peace. He was trying to bring peace, but the world would not receive him or peace. And so it says, if any man say unto you, you shall say, the Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. He was now king, coming back as king. In order to be the king, he had to be the sacrificial lamb first. But He is now elevating himself to where many have tried to elevate him to, but he has suppressed all that. Now, this last week, he is coming forward and he's saying, the Lord has need of him. The Lord has need of him. The Lord is riding an unridden donkey, a foal. He has made his journey from Galilee And what I found fascinating is that as much as is said about Jerusalem, very little of his miracles, only I think two or so, were done in the area of Jerusalem. Most of his work, most of his ministry was far north around the Sea of Galilee. And here was this city that has been prophesied and talked about for so long. And he says, the Lord has need of them. And so... Prophecy was fulfilled. Many times we hear from Jesus that prophecy had to be fulfilled. And that should give each one of us strength and comfort. Because we can read prophecy and we know that it will be fulfilled. What the Bible says, much of it has been fulfilled and the rest of it will be fulfilled. We can bank on that. We can count on that because it comes from a God that is all-powerful, that knows all things, that created this world, and what he's promised, he has delivered for each one of us. The Lord has need of them, so this donkey and this foal was delivered to him, and prophecy was fulfilled. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon a donkey and upon a colt. 
It was prophesied long, long before what would happen here. And it had to happen exactly that way. Jesus made sure of it. God made sure of it. And I love this, that it says, even back then in Zechariah, that it says, O daughter of Jerusalem. Later on it talks about uh, saying to the city of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. For us today, he is coming exactly the same way. He has salvation. He has salvation for every one of us that wants salvation. I say it that way because some people, they struggle. They struggle on the way to salvation. They struggle with wanting to become a Christian. And they struggle and they drag it out and they struggle. And recently we had a, a young lady advertise, advertised, announced rather, maybe we should advertise it, that she's waiting for baptism back home. And I remember the struggle this young lady went through. And I looked back on, on my records, on my phone, because we had texted and emailed each other over the years. And at one point there was a two and a half year span of silence where we did not communicate. She dragged it on. Many dragged it on. We have people in our church, I don't know every one of you, that have been sitting there, some of them for over 70 years, and still as lost, no, probably more lost than ever, more hardened than ever. Jesus came. He's riding into Jerusalem for the purpose that he knows full well, for the suffering that he knows full well. He knows what's coming. And for us, brothers and sisters, we should really dwell on that. And not just today, not just this week, but I would say even more this week. In our prayers, in our readings of what Jesus went through. He doesn't come in here crying. He comes in as a king. And it says that he came just and having salvation. Jesus has salvation. He is offering salvation to them and to us and to every man and woman that wants it. It doesn't have to be a hard thing. It doesn't have to be dragged out. But it has to happen. Because the reverse of that is he is just. There will be a day he's going to come back and it won't be on a donkey and it won't be in peace. It will be with justice and righteousness and division. Goats on the left, sheep on the right, unsaved to eternal damnation and the saved to eternal salvation, eternal bliss, eternal peace, eternally without all the problems we face here, the things that Brother Doug prayed about. Someday it overwhelms me to think of all the needs there are when I'm at home and I look over the congregation or sit and look over the faces, just one thing after another runs through my mind. Many needs. Those will all be gone forever. Who is there that doesn't want that? So before he comes just, we need to grab hold of that salvation. We need to repent. Mankind needs to repent and turn around 
And it's so simple to go towards God because God has promised that he will go towards all those that want him. Acts, I believe, 17, it says that he's never very far from any one of us. I cling to that promise. This last week, I've made some difficult experiences. And I've had to cling to that promise and cling to God, knowing that he cares and he loves and he provides and he is just. That's his department, not mine or ours. And so as he goes through and, and, and rides this donkey, I'd like to read something that I found yesterday, which I think illustrates, you know, we say, well, it's only a donkey. It's such a low animal. And yet, it's interesting, too, one of the other accounts, when it says, go to the donkey there, it mentions owners. It was more than one that owned this donkey and this foal that he did. And the other thing that comes to my mind is when you think about Jesus and you think about us, Jesus borrowed this donkey. Jesus never bought a house that we know of. He has no pillow, it says. Jesus didn't possess anything in this life. He owned the whole world. He had been there with his father to make the whole world, but he didn't possess a single thing on this earth because it wasn't important to him. How important are possessions to us? Do we want to own salvation? That's what's important. And us, if I can read this for you, it's a story that someone wrote about this event. And it's called Only a Donkey. It says, The donkey awakened, his mind still savoring the afterglow of the most exciting day of his life. Presuming this was the donkey that Jesus rode. Never before had he felt such a rush of pleasure and pride. He walked into town and found a group of people by the well. I'll show myself to them, he thought, but they didn't notice him. They went on drawing water and paid him no mind. Throw your dark garments down, he said. Don't you know who I am? They just looked at him in amazement. Someone slapped him on the side and ordered him to move on. Miserable heathens, he muttered to himself. I'll just go to the market where the good people are. They will remember me. But the same thing happened. No one paid any attention to the donkey as he strutted down the main street in front of the marketplace. The palm branches. Where's the palm branches? He shouted. Yesterday you waved palm branches. Hurt and confused, the donkey returned home to his mother. Foolish child, she said gently. Don't you realize that without him, you are just an ordinary donkey? The moral of that is that without Jesus, we aren't much. We don't have much. We can't claim to be anybody special. This donkey was special when Jesus was riding him. We are special when God is with us when the Holy Spirit resides within us, when God guides us, then we're special. We can learn a lot, even from this lowly donkey. Think of this, how much, uh, gosh, the name escapes me now, the old uh, story, 
the donkey that rose up and spoke to his master had to teach him a lesson. Here he came riding this donkey. And so these disciples did as Jesus commanded. In John, it reminds us that all these things that happened, even they did not understand until after the fact. In our lives, we can also apply the same thing. There are things that come upon us, things that we prayed for, cancers and pains and problems that we have. Each one of us has them. Each one of us has them. I deal with a lot of people, and many times they share personal stories or parts of their personal lives when we're done discussing business. And one thing that hit me just in the last couple of weeks is that everyone has a burden. Everyone has problem people in their lives, problems with health in their lives, family problems. It doesn't matter, work problems. We all have problems in our lives. How we handle them and what we do is really what determines how we're going to come through any situation that faces us. If we go with God, if we let him go with us, if we let him control us, we will have an answer. It may not be today or tomorrow, but there will be an answer. And there is a reason, there is a purpose for everything that happens in our lives. Everything. So as these disciples went, they brought this, they put their clothes on him, and as the king, as is befitting royalty, they put clothes and palm branches underneath where the donkey, the foal, would walk to treat him as a king. Now, as we're going through this, you need to realize who is in this crowd. This crowd, I can just sort of imagine as swelling as Jesus comes along, his disciples, his followers. Maybe blind Bartimaeus was there in the crowd following because now he could see. The blind and the lame were not allowed into the temple. Now, seeing, he could go into the temple. He was following his Lord, who had healed him, healed him. Other people, maybe the lepers that he cleansed, maybe Lazarus that he healed from the dead, maybe his friends, family. And this crowd would grow and grow, and as they came we saw that it called it a great cult. A very great multitude spread their garments on the way. I can just imagine this multitude, how they grew, and aren't we the same way? When, when we're with a group of people, we tend to sort of take on some of their characteristics. You take one leader that's all enthusiastic and other people that are kind of humdrum, all of a sudden they'll start getting a little more enthusiastic too. And there are people that, will, that are born leaders and others follow them because they see what they like in that leader. Here there's a following. They see a king coming 
But I think more than that, what they really see is a man that is famous. Famous not for being Lord of Lord and Kings of Kings, but famous because they've heard and seen his healing. In another gospel, it actually talks about those that came to see because they had heard about the raising of Lazarus. Who can raise someone from the dead? This is a special man. This is a very special man. That kind of fame spreads by word of mouth. So you have people that are curious. Just, you know, how we drive down the 401 and there's an accident, everybody slows down and they have to gawk over because they're curious as to how bad the damage is and what's all happening over there. People are curious. They like to see. And so here, they wonder what's going on. Who is this man? And now they're shouting, Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Not realizing this was the Lord himself. Hosanna in the highest. Save us, save us now. So there was those people that saw him as the savior of their captivity. Not sin, not salvation, not the heart, but the Roman oppression that they were under. Then there were those people that were the curious, that saw him as the one that would raise someone from the dead, give sight to the blind man, heal a blood issue, help and heal and provide things that no one else could. So they noticed this man. He was well known. He's coming to town. We want to see what's going on. So you have a really mixed crowd here. Some just curious because they, they like a parade of people and so they just follow along automatically wondering where they're going and what they're doing. And we have some that believe one thing. We have some that are curious about another. And so this crowd swells. And you can imagine all these people that are in the Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas because Jerusalem couldn't handle them. So a lot of them stayed like them in Bethpage and Bethany and other little towns around Jerusalem. And now finally... Finally, they're doing all these things. And it says the multitudes that went before and, follow, and, and followed. So you can see him in the middle of this immense crowd. Now we're getting close to Jerusalem. Before I go on, it's important to note that we call this Palm Sunday the day they put the palms down, welcomed him into Jerusalem. But think of how long it took before those hosannas died. This huge crowd that followed him before, after, and around him. And not only them, but there was another crowd waiting that was already in Jerusalem. So as they came over the hill, the Mount of Olives, and they started going down, Before they actually went down, I want to read what he said. But as they overlooked, there was probably people noticing the ruckus that were coming out of Jerusalem to see what's going on. I wish we had that kind of interest, even if it's just curious, that we can tell them about the gospel. But here Jesus came in. Here he went there and this great crowd And I wonder what Jesus thought as he looked into the faces of that crowd. 
hearing hosannas, treated as a king, but knowing in his heart that within a day or two, they would be all gone. Within days, it would be crucify him. When Pilate would say, what should I do? And they said, crucify him. Let his blood be on us. In a few days, Jesus knew that. The others didn't. And yet, he didn't dwell on that. Yet his heart was for the people. His heart was for the mission. In John 10, it says that he came. He said, no one can take my life. I laid down my life. He laid down his life for you and I, for our sin, so that we can have salvation, so that we can be in heaven with him someday. Here, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna and blessed, and then crucify him. It says, and when he was come to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? As I traveled recently through Israel, and we spent numerous days in and around Jerusalem, Twice we were on the Mount of Olives, looking at different sites. And I remember vividly being up there. This scripture came to my mind as I sat there. And it was the same situation here. Luke 19, he records it. Because also in that crowd were those that were his thorn in the side all along. It says, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, this account records, and glory in the highest. And then some of the Pharisees just couldn't handle it anymore. And they said, you know, they said to him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Rabbi, rebuke these people for, let, for lifting you up that high. And Jesus answered, said, I tell you, that if these should hold their peace, the stones should immediately cry out. No more silence, no more taking it. Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. And he had just, you know, a little while after that, spent much time rebuking them, calling them hypocrites over and over again. And here it says, when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round about and keep thee in on every side. And we know that was fulfilled within 35 or 40 years. And shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not 
the time of thy visitation. Do we know the time of our visitation, my friend? If you don't know Christ, is today your time of visitation? Or has it been many times? And you've rejected him, just as these will reject Christ. I remember being near the top of the Mount of Olives. And Jerusalem is really mountainous, very high, a lot of hills, nothing but up and down. And it's something like three and a half, four thousand feet above sea level. And I remember being on that side of that hill, overlooking in front of us all the Jewish graves from hundreds and thousands of years. And on the other side, in the bottom, the Kedron Valley, that Jesus crossed here to get into Jerusalem, and the gate that he went into, which is now cemented shut, and all the Muslim graves that are right in front of it, and where the temple stood is a Muslim mosque and a Muslim place of remembrance on the Dome of the Rock. The Jews don't even go there. And we went to an interesting presentation about Jerusalem where it was a a Jewish man that had gone back to Israel from New York, of all places, as many of them are over there, are from all over the world. And that's a biblical thing. They're going back, and they will continue to go back until the time is fulfilled. And how he spoke with pain and anguish of this temple that is ready to be built again, but it cannot be built without intervention from God himself. And they're waiting for that. They're waiting for that. And the temple, and I can only envision the temple. I saw models of it and and read about it. The things that Jesus must, must have looked at. Herod the Great built this magnificent, monstrous temple that is three, four times the size of what stands there now that the Muslims have built. And it would have been a magnificent sight. A magnificent sight from the Mount of Olives as you go down across the valley and up the hill. And here he wept over it. Jesus was being hailed. He didn't bask in the glory. He didn't stay in this moment. He beheld the city. And I'm sure he stopped this procession and he wept over it. Jesus didn't weep much, but he wept over Jerusalem. And it's fascinating to me as we went to the various excavations and, and around the old city, they excavated way down. We had to climb way down into these excavations. And there are layers and layers of excavations. And we could see the stones of the wall and the foundation, which Herod, in Jesus' time, before Jesus was born, had built. And we saw the remnants of some of these things. And it was fascinating to see that as we went down, we went through a tunnel for a, along one wall, underground, to, to see the foundation and to see what they had dug at that time for water. And we went down and we actually saw stones with inscriptions that were the cornerstone with an inscription from that time that they had uncovered. Massive stones, huge stones, rubble at the bottom, exactly what he had prophesied. We could see with our own eyes. It was laying there. The proof, the inscriptions from that time, This didn't just happen. 
It was prophesied. And some of these stones, I don't know how they did it. We, we saw some theories of, of, of uh, you know, little films and demonstrations of what they did. But uh, how, what Herod built and the things they did were amazing. We saw stones that were 14 meters long and about a meter high and at least a meter thick. How they ever got them there, we don't know. But all the glorious things that he had built, that Herod the Great had built, it was prophesied and it was torn down. It was laying there in rubble. Jerusalem is a very special place and that's why I believe Jesus stopped here and wept over it and over the things that were there. They shall leave not they shall leave in thee not one stone upon another. Why? Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. God wants salvation for us. He doesn't want to destroy any one of us. He doesn't want any sinner to be lost. This whole thing is, in my mind, for two reasons. One, to reach out to those that don't know God. To say, look what I did for you. Eventually, justice is coming. Eventually, he will come back. And he will come back as a judge and as a jury. And then, mercy and grace will be a thing of the past. Today, mercy and grace reign. For us, brothers and sisters, this is the beginning of the week of passion, as they call it. It never ceases to speak to my heart. It never ceases to play with my emotions, to see and to read and to think what God did for me. What he suffered for me. The things that on Friday, if you have a service on Friday, we'll talk about. But in a short service, you can't talk about all these things. I encourage you to read it through and let it be a motivation for us, brothers and sisters, that we might live holy lives, that we might follow him and give him what he gave us, which is everything. Everything. He laid down his life for us. We weren't his friends. We were his enemies. We were sinners. And he did it for you, and he did it for me. Let's keep that close to our hearts every day of our lives. Let's let God speak to us. Let God rule us so that when he sends us, when he asks something of us, that when he expects us to be the salt of the earth, and the lights of this world when he expects us to tell others about him and what he's done for us and what he can do for you and I, that we would do it with all we have, with all of our heart, that we would be a blessing to others, that we would remember this Christ that triumphantly entered Jerusalem, but shortly hanging on a cross. Let me leave you with this thought. I took a picture of a cross of that time that we saw. And it wasn't at all what I pictured. 
it wasn't at all this big tree that was standing tall and, and, and what you see depicted in pictures. It was a cross where your feet were about that far off the ground. He would have been this far from people looking at him. So when people mocked him and spit on him, he was very close to them. When he observed the crowd, he could see their eyes when he hung on the cross. It's an image that will stay with me. This is a beautiful image of him coming in. Unfortunately, we need to evaluate, you and I, where we are in that crowd. Are we too the ones that will say, shortly after, crucify him? Or will we rather say to him, I'll be crucified with him? May the Lord give us grace to do that. Brother, please find the hymn. We have visiting brothers. Please feel free. Hymn 183, the first two in the fourth verse.
We thank the Heavenly Father for that word which we could see and hear and meditate upon. Father, we thank thee that we have that privilege to come before thee and, Lord, to adore thee. Father, we thank thee that we have that privilege given in thy word that we not only can visit that earthly Jerusalem, but thy word promises that we should walk in that heavenly Jerusalem. There, Heavenly Father, we're not being the great stone we have heard in Jerusalem, the rocks. There we shall walk on the streets of gold. Lord, we thank thee that thou hast, what thou hast done through thy great sacrifice, that we are able to walk in that new Jerusalem where we can meet all those that have walked before in faith. Lord, we thank thee that thou hast worn the cross through Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, that we can wear the crown of eternal life in the new Jerusalem. We thank thee that thou hast stood there in Pilate's hall and hast suffered many accusations, yea, hurts, and that has smote in thy face and hit with all the wreaths and with many, many things, so that we can walk and be rejoicing with thee in that new heavenly home which thou hast prepared for us. Father, we thank thee that thou hast done through thy only begotten Son that we, so unworthy, shall be able to be with thee in all eternity in thy heavenly home. Now we pray, the Heavenly Father, that those that have not accepted thee as their personal Savior, that they may also accept thee and receive thee and be united with thee, Heavenly Father, so that we all shall be among that, among that great multitude which no man can count in heaven and walk in white apparel and be with thee. Lord, we pray thee that many yet would come and accept thee as their personal Savior, Lord, that, that we all should be there where thou art, and thy will it is, for thou hast said in thy word that in that, have, in that prayer, that high priestly prayer, thou hast mentioned, Father, I will, that they all should be where I am, that they all should see thy glory, Heavenly Father. Lord Jesus, we thank thee for all what thou hast said. And Lord, we look we look upwards now to the, to the mountains from whence our help cometh. Lord, when thou shalt come on a white horse and with all the arms of heaven in white apparel, Lord, to meet in the air and to be with thee in all eternity. Now we thank thee for all what thou hast done for us and for all that thou hast prepared in all eternity. And we ask thee that for that congregation here in Toronto that they may increase and they may multiply in number, in spirit, Lord, in any and everything what, what serves to thy honor and to thy glory. Father, we give thanks unto thee for the word which we could hear today, for the encouragement. And Lord, now we look forward for that day when the trumpet will sound and we shall meet in the air and so be with thee 
in all eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will a brother please find a concluding hymn? One fifty three, first three verses of one five three. We've heard a very moving message this morning of the coming of the King of Kings on the back of a donkey. And as Brother Frank was preaching on this topic and, and reminding us of the lowly estate of the Lord, a couple of verses, passages came to mind. One contained in Second Corinthians chapter 8. It says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. And in Philippians chapter 2, he says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, even and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. That verse says that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And it's not just a suggestion. It will happen. We heard it will happen. When Jesus comes again as judge, every knee will bow whether they wanted to or not. They will bow some in adoration and rejoicing that the king has finally come. And others will bow in fear and in horror. Perhaps looking for a glimpse of mercy from this God, from this Christ who will come on the back of a white horse. Brother Frank, we want to thank the Lord and you for making yourself available and for sharing with us some of the moving images in the Holy Land that you captured so vividly for us. And with that, we'd like to conclude this service. Everyone's welcome downstairs for lunch. May the Lord bless this service to us all.